severe, okay? So we had to wake up and be ready at 6 o'clock in the morning for a 10-kilometer race, okay? That's uh, six miles. We would run those 10 kilometers, then we would have breakfast, then we would memorize verses together, we would study the Word of God, and that would take most of the morning. What I didn't know is that my dad was preparing all of us for an even longer race, a 20-kilometer race around the lake. Nowadays, you would think that that's child abuse, right? Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of work for a young, a young 12-year-old. But I just, um, I really appreciate what my dad did there to prepare me, not only for, you know, physically at that time, but also to prepare me for life. Well, I can remember the day finally arrived for that 20-kilometer race, and um, we were all excited. I'm sure it was at 6 o'clock in the morning, and so we were there at the finish line, I mean, at the uh, starting line, and, and before everything started, my dad called me off to the side, and he said, I want to give you some words of advice, okay? And uh, so he said, uh, the first piece of advice that I want to give you is, Randy, pace yourself. This is not a sprint. This is a long-distance race. So we all lined up, and my dad uh, took a picture of us. We were all smiling. He had his whistle. There were about 30 of us. And he blew that whistle and several just darted, right? They sprinted and they were going so fast. And you know what happened after about a mile, right? They were out of energy, out of steam, and they were ready to quit the race. And my dad, knowing that this probably would, have, would happen, he hired a Volkswagen van, a Combi, to pick up those that were quitting and take them all the way to the finish line. Well... I continued um, at a steady pace, listening to my father's advice. And this advice that my dad gave me that day has been so helpful for me in ministry to this day. It's similar to the advice that we receive in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight from the Apostle Paul. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. What does it mean to be steadfast? It means to be steady. I love this verse in Portuguese. It goes like this, Portanto, meus amados irmãos, sede firmes, inabaláveis, sempre abundantes na obra do Senhor, sabendo que no Senhor o vosso trabalho não é vão. So the word for steadfast, sede firmes, be firm, be firm. In our church we have a saying, and as a pastor I will go through the congregation and, and I will say, forte e firme, so strong and firm. And what I'm hoping to hear back is, Forte firme, pastor. Strong and firm, pastor. If I hear one of those, eh, I know it's time for a coffee, right? Let's talk. Well, how about you this morning? Are you farchi e firme? Are you strong and firm? Are you steadfast? Well, we're to be firm, right? And we can see in chapter 15 that we're to be firm in hope, in faith, in the gospel, in gospel ministry. And why? Why should we be firm? Because Jesus Christ died and rose again. He saved us from our sin and from death. He gives us the victory. We see that in chapter 15. So be steadfast and immovable. What does it mean to be immovable? It means not to be uh, moved away or shaken from the hope 
of the gospel. So we need to pace ourselves. Well, when I arrived in the southern part of Brazil, near Porto Alegre, in Rio Grande do Sul, they told me that it's, it takes seven years for a gaucho to come to know Christ as a Savior. And I said, what are you talking about? You can't put a time frame to the salvation of anyone. Well, it's been pretty accurate. <laughs> what I learned from that statement is that I needed to understand the culture. I needed to show a love for the people and that they weren't interested in hearing the gospel until they knew that I, I actually loved them and wasn't interested in just converting them. So you can see I have a very interesting outfit here. This is a gaucho outfit. These are the bombachas. So the gauchos are the cowboys of the southern plains of South America. And, of course, the, the baggy pants are to fit on a, on a horse comfortably, right? Got my belt. I've got my boots and my scarf. I also... No, I didn't bring my knife, okay? They have a nice big knife right back here. I thought that probably wouldn't be good in church. But uh, another thing that I have right here is the green tea. Now, I could say as a missionary, I'm not interested in drinking this green tea. But I would miss out on some relationships. Now, at first glance, you would probably notice that that tea looks a lot like mulch. You can see some of the twigs here, right? And you would also be informed that this has probably ten times the amount of caffeine as coffee. So after a two-hour visit, I'm raring to go, right? The, the hardest part, though, about the green tea is that you all share the same straw. Okay, so I've had to say some prayers every now and then. It's, it's a very short, simple prayer to God. Help. <laughs> Help me drink this. But in participating in Shimaho with my neighbor across the street, João, João's a truck driver, and he would wave at me and, and say, Hey, neighbor, I just got back from my trip. You want to have some green tea? And I'd say, uh, Sure, <laughs> let's have some green tea. And so for two hours, João and I would drink green tea for eight years. João said, Pastor Randy, I love drinking green tea with you. And I said, why? Well, because with everybody else, it's just small talk. We talk about the weather. We talk about politics. It's, it's really insignificant. But with you, I get to talk about the end of the world. I'm like, well, João, that's not the best subject. you know." <laughs> so after eight years of green tea, uh, João, my neighbor, understood that he was a sinner, that he needed a savior. And he put his faith in Christ and became my brother in Christ. I could have said no to green tea. But I probably wouldn't have had those opportunities to talk to João for him to know that I loved him. And that I would love for him to meet my Savior. We moved from San Leopoldo to Ivochi. And guess what? My next neighbor said, hello, neighbor. Do you like green tea? I had to figure out how I was going to answer that. And I said, sure, I'll drink some green tea with you. And I'd like for Joel to share his testimony with you right now by video.
before I knew Christ, I lived a normal life, normal for today's society. But I continued my daily life in studies, trying hard to do things and demonstrate my wishes, my own feelings. My wife and I were struggling in our marriage. We wanted to have children. We were not able to. My family is a big family. My mother had nine children. I'm twins with a girl. Never took the dreams of having children. And we were happy. So one day I got out. I was a very, very, very sad, very frustrated. And that day I cried out to God. I asked God to touch good people in my life. And not different people, I thought already. I didn't want to become a different person. And if it was his will, and he would bring people to give me back life. And to my surprise, around 10 days, 15 days later, Pastor Randall and his family came to live across the street. So, easily and immediately, we became friends. And I saw in Randall someone who could help me. He was very certain, but he knows that he was the answer to pray, my prayer to God. And from there, we started friendship. Arendel really played a very important role in my life. And when I told him my pain, including that I would not be able to be a father, he put me in the prayer that I would be able to have children. Then, we were soon blessed. My wife got pregnant, and things once again started to settle down for me. So, in the second year of this relationship, my wife and I got baptized, he started to see God more. The same God was already taken care of me. More and more, I began to notice his brother, and the desire that he has that we really take it. Because when you try to do things just out of your understanding, by our strength alone, you are better than So, to me, to go back to care is a way out on a physical level. Really, really improving the natural to people. And when we associate chiropractic to the physical care, understanding that patients often come with physical pain, but in many situations come with the history of spiritual problems. One really needs, for all else, to be at peace with God, to be at peace spiritually. Getting to know our church, listening to the Word, integrating our work that we might bring them to Christ. My business began to grow. I also started to take more time to go to church. The church was small in just beginning, so it was also a way for me to have more work and at the same time help the church to become more visible in society. I strongly believe that each person has the right time for that. God will write when the heart is really open, just like it happened to me, and I still have many things that I want to grow in and evolve as a Christian, as someone who fears God. Then, it's really worth it to seek God and ask to be a transforming agent uses like that. So after two years, Joel said, Randy, you're my best friend. And I said, I'd love for you to become my brother. So 
like, what's that? <laughs> and not long after, Cindy and I were able to meet with Joao and Dagi, his wife, and share for about four hours the truths of the gospel and answer their questions, and they put their faith in Christ. And they got up in the service and said, we're now your brother and sister in Christ. <laughs> it was special. It was special. And Joel, he said, I am a chiropractor, and I would like to use my gifts for the church, can I offer my Mondays for free? And I said, I don't, never heard of a chiropractic care ministry, but why not, right? And uh, who doesn't have a backache, right? And so uh, Joel has blessed our last two church plants with his volunteer work. And we minister to people and then share the gospel to them. It's been a great opportunity. But there is no instant evangelism. Do you agree? Not here in the United States either. It takes time to develop relationships. It takes time for people to understand the gospel and to commit to the truths of the gospel. So we need to pace ourselves. We're planning a church in a German city in Brazil, in Dois Irmãos. And I've talked to our leadership saying, look, this is going to take 10 years. 10 years. It's not going to be something that's going to start in just a year. <laughs> so we need to be steadfast and we need to be immovable. Well, my dad, before the race, gave me another piece of advice. He said, Randy, give it all you've got. Don't finish the race with energy left over. And that reminds us of what we read here in the rest of the verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, he encourages us to always abound in the work of the Lord. And what does that mean? It means to do over and above the minimum, to excel in the work of the Lord. It can be easy to coast in the Christian life. Do you agree? I've been reading the 50 Christians every believer should meet or something like that from Wearsby. And I have just been challenged at how these pastors and missionaries and professors and godly men and women, they gave their all. They abounded. They really spent their lives for the gospel. They didn't coast. Uh, Steve mentioned my, my grandfather. My grandfather, Willard Stoll, he graduated from seminary. And in 1939, he said, where in the world do, do they still need to hear the gospel? Doesn't matter where. And found out that the end of the world at that time was the Amazon jungle. And so he got on a boat, took over a month to get to the Amazon jungle, to the city of Manaus. My grandmother... A single lady from Waterloo, Iowa. Imagine this. A single lady from Waterloo, Iowa felt God's call on her life and said the same thing. Where in the world do they need to hear the gospel? And God led her all the way to the Amazon jungle. My grandfather and grandmother, they met, were married, and they started churches there in the Amazon jungle. In December, I have the privilege of speaking at the church they started 80 years ago. It's their 80th anniversary. That church has daughtered or granddaughtered 75 churches since its beginning. I have the privilege of reading through some of my grandfather's prayer letters. And one of his first prayer letters, he was going on that boat to the Amazon jungle, not knowing what in the world he was going to face there. And he, he quoted... Uh, 
hymn from Bessie Hatcher, and it goes like this. Let me burn out for thee, dear Lord. Burn and wear out for thee. Don't let me rust or my life be a failure, my God, to thee. Use me and all I have, dear Lord, and get me so close to thee that I feel the throb of the great heart of God until I burn out for thee. Well, my grandmother, she passed away at the age of 67. She had a heart attack while she was ministering in Brazil. My grandfather, he decided he was never going to retire. (laughs) He passed away at the age of 94 after over 70 years of missionary service in Brazil. They burned out for their Savior. Well, we asked the question, why abound in the work of the Lord? Because God's grace has abounded to our account, has it not? Consider God's amazing grace in your life and let that motivate you to abound. The Apostle Paul did that in chapter 15, verse 10. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So it's God's grace that allows us to work harder to abound. I had the privilege while I was in Brazil to spend a week with Jerry Bridges, who is my favorite author, and I ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner with him, and almost all the time, every, every opportunity he had, he said, Randy, preach the gospel to yourself every day. He said, it will transform your Christian life. It will transform the way that you treat people, that you treat your wife and your kids and those around you. It will transform you as a missionary, as a pastor. We need to remind ourselves daily of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, all that Jesus did to rescue us, the precious blood that was spilled for us. That's not the only thing that motivates me as a missionary to work hard. I think of all of the churches and all the supporters that have invested so much in my life and in our ministry. If you add it all up, it's well over a million dollars. <laughs> Saying that we just had a church give us last week forty thousand dollars towards our our church project, our construction, and you know, holding that check is like, wow, I I have a responsibility, right? But I'll tell you one thing that that hits me even harder is when a a kid from Awana comes up or from VBS comes up with a quarter or 50 cents and says, do you think you could use that this in, in Brazil for your ministry? It's like, oh, sure, sure. But when we think about the investment that God has made in us through the death of his son, that should motivate us, right? To abound in the work of the Lord. Well, a third piece of advice my dad gave me was finish the race. Don't get in that combi. (laughs) Don't get in that Volkswagen van. Let it go by you. We continue in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your your labor is not in vain. Gospel ministry is hard. It's messy. It can be really discouraging. But by God's grace, we need to finish well. We need to finish well. Pastor Steve, you know, Piehi, Pastor Piehi and I have spent a lot of time together. Pastor Piehi is the one who has pastored the church in Feituria that we, we started. 
And um, he and I will meet for coffee. And there was one time when we met for coffee and he was really serious and he tears started to form and, and fall. And he said, Pastor Randy, he said, just this last week, I thought about quitting the ministry. And I kind of chuckled <laughs> and I said, only now <laughs> I've, I've thought about quitting the ministry all, so many times. I said, I thought about starting a hot dog stand, a burger joint. You know, I've, he's like, really? I was like, yeah. I said, it's hard. There are times you just want to quit. I said, but it's worth it all. Nothing's in vain. So let's keep at it. <laughs> he said, all right. All right. It's not in vain. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. I think of my parents. My parents... They retired um, after many years in Brazil, but it wasn't all easy. And one of the challenges that my parents faced was that my brother, my youngest brother, he, um, he, when he became an adult, decided that he wanted nothing to do with the Lord. He wanted nothing to do with Christianity. And he walked away from God. And it broke my parents' heart. It really did. <laughs> all of our hearts. And he lived in the world. But around seven years ago, my God, my God started to rescue my brother. My, my brother had a seizure. He broke three vertebrae in his back and he woke up in the emergency room. I was by his side there in Brazil. And we found out that he had a four-inch tumor in his brain. It was an aggressive tumor. The tumor was removed and he went through chemo and radiation treatment and for the first time, I had an opportunity to talk to my brother about spiritual things. We had spiritual conversations. And there finally came that time when my brother called me up there in Porto Alegre and he said, uh, Hey, Randy, can you come over and help me find peace with God? And I said, For sure. This is the fastest trip to Porto Alegre I ever made. And we sat there and talked for hours. And my brother, he said, I want to pray and I want to put my faith in Christ. And I said, you've prayed so many times. He's like, yeah, but this is real. And I want to make it public. I said, that's great. That's great. So he prayed and we're both crying and I'm hugging him. He's hugging me. And I said, okay, now let's call mom and dad. So he picked up the phone and I called. My mom was out, but my dad was there. And I said, dad, Darren just got saved. And he's, I could hear him screaming. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. And then he said, now I can die and go to heaven. I'm like, whoa, dad, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. We still need you. So my brother, he, um, he fought with cancer for, for seven years and read through the Bible four times and passed away in October. But I'm so glad that my brother came to know Christ as his Savior, and that's not the end, right? <laughs> in fact, we read, we read in um, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. We're waiting for that trumpet. <laughs> and it could be very soon, right? You understand? With all this going on right now, it could be very soon. 
So one of the things that my brother said is what really made an impact on him was that my parents never gave up. They loved him to the end. Some of you may be in that situation with, with children or loved ones that are away from the Lord. I really can see that God is still at work. He is at work. Well, the final piece of advice my dad gave me was, I'll be waiting for you at the finish line to celebrate. (laughs) And you know what kept me going through that 20-kilometer race? It was the thought that my dad was going to be there waiting for me. And he was going to give me a big hug. And he was going to say, good job. We were reminded of the verse, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Uh, It's going to be worth it all. Reminds me of of a hymn. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. I didn't win that race. Okay, there were several that were stronger and they were, um, you know, older than I was. But it was a great joy to get there, to cross that finish line and to be able to just embrace him. And, um, you know, Jesus is going to be waiting at the finish line for us. Hopefully he'll be there to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But you know who else will be there? Um, all those boys from the basketball ministry, several of them have come to Christ. Uh, actually, two just got saved. Two, uh, no, last year, last year, Edson baptized uh, two of the boys that got saved almost 20 years later. <laughs> it's amazing to see that that seed that's planted, it, it just takes time. Those boys from the basketball will be there. Those boys and girls from the Iwana ministry will be there. All those that you have invested in over the years that have come to know Christ as their Savior will be there waiting for us. There's nothing better than knowing Christ and serving Him. Do you agree? And one day we will be with Christ forever and ever. That is our hope. And that is our victory. So we remember 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So pace yourself. Run hard. Finish the race. And remember that Jesus will be there waiting for us at the finish line. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and how you encourage us to persevere, to trust you, to remember that nothing is in vain. Lord, if there is someone here who does not know you as their Savior, who has not experienced that hope, that salvation, that victory that we possess in knowing Christ, I pray that that they would know him even today. Lord, I pray for those that we know that are loved ones that are away from you. I pray that you would rescue them. Work in their hearts as you are and use us by your grace. In Jesus' name.
Amen.